This is the Home Service Expert Podcast with Tommy Mello. Let's talk about bringing in some more money for your home service business. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields, like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership, to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the home service millionaire, Tommy Mello. All right, home service experts, I'm here with Troy Timmer, and Troy has experience in the industry that spans over 22 years. He's a home service contractor. He knows a lot about roofing. Uh, 17 years he spent in roofing. He used to be a sheriff. He played college football. This guy knows a lot of stuff. Now he's out just helping guys and gals like us that are trying to do well in the home service industry. So, Troy, if you could tell everybody how you got started and, and really what you've done and tell us a little, maybe a couple of stories about some turnarounds. Yeah, I done. appreciate you having me on. As you kind of said, about 22 years ago, I was a deputy sheriff in Bozeman, Montana. And I'd done that for a while. I got started in, in this industry through my father-in-law. He was a fireman for a long time and, you know, firemen, they work two days a week. The rest of the time, they have a business on the side. He did roofing on the side. So I was working for him to make money. Uh, it didn't take long to figure out I could make a lot more money doing this than I could in law enforcement. And so I made a shift and uh, I started my own roofing company. I was like a lot of people to get into this industry. You know, I don't really know how to run a business. I learned how to put the products on and I did the best I could. And I did that for 17 years. Then it was time for me to use my skills and knowledge to help other home improvement contractors and uh, help them improve their business. And that's what I do now. Today, I work for a company based out of Washington, D.C., Certified Contractors Network, and uh, I coach contractors every day. So tell me a little bit about your business and what caused you to go over to the network, switch over to the contractors network business and in in the you know 2000s we were in a boom you know until about 2009 things were good i was in bozeman it was a town of about i don't know forty five thousand people in the in the county there's seventy thousand. yep and you know we started out doing some new construction work but quickly learned that where you really make your money in that industry is through replacement i worked with homeowners and so we got in big into uh, re-roofing. We did a lot of high-end roofs, multi-unit family roofs, re-roofing, new construction, and then new construction up in uh, a ski area called Big Sky, which is about 45 miles south of Bozeman, and uh, also Yellowstone Club, which is the largest private ski resort in the country. That's very exclusive high-end. We did you know, quite a bit of work up in there. So, you know, I really wanted to position myself as a leader in the market, as the professional, by the work we did, how we treated people. But at the same time, you know, I I had to go through a lot of hurdles and a lot of hoops to learn how to run my business effectively. Yeah, there's a lot to it. I mean, every day it seems like there's a new struggle. I mean, I'm in the middle of it, and um, I love what I do, but we just got done with the manager. I have flew all my guys out from 10 states, and we discussed a lot of the problems, and... um, I think the biggest challenge that most businesses have 
and you could tell me you've been doing this, you've been training a lot longer than I have. It's really getting great help, but it's also being a leader and making them into an A player and really knowing how to recruit because it always seems like I'm a slave and not necessarily me, but it seems like most of the guys that I know, they're like, I just can't get out of the field. I need to, like, we've got too much business, especially the economy is getting really good and great people are hard to come by. So what do you think the biggest challenge is? And what do you think about this whole recruiting thought well, process? I, I, you know, I think labor and labor shortage are a huge problem for our industry, finding qualified people. But I also believe that you have to keep the people you have, right? Right. And to do that and to be an effective leader, one is you have to empower people to grow. And that means that you got to meet people where they're at. And you probably know this, Tommy, but you got to meet people where they're at and you got to figure out what's their developmental level. And then you're going to have to apply the appropriate leadership style in order to make them succeed in their job or help them succeed in their, in their job and, and ultimately succeed in your company. But I think a lot of times we lose good people and they don't leave your company because they're going to get paid you know, two, three, four dollars an hour more, ten thousand dollars a year. They leave because the way you made them feel. And if you don't manage and lead people appropriately, they're not going to feel good, and they're going to go somewhere else and try and find that. And I think that's important. The other thing is, most of us or most contractors are not equipped, and they don't have the tools or the skills to hire people, right? So when you do that, I think you got to use. Maybe another company, a recruiting or hiring firm that can help you find some qualified people. So what is the good and the bad about a recruiting firm? Because I've tried them, and in my opinion, uh, they're very expensive. <laughs> right? And one is one thing is you got to find a firm that understands our industry. You know, if you're just going to look for a corporate hiring or a headhunting firm or recruiting firm, they may not understand our, our industry. And so they just take their knowledge of what they have for that different industries, corporate world, and try and apply it. Well, that sometimes doesn't work. So if you find a, a you know, company that focuses on our industry, that, that makes it a lot easier. And also in the setup process, make sure that they understand exactly what the job entails and what the skills are that you expect from that person. And they can be very expensive, but at the same time, you look at the flip side of that, Tommy, let's say you're hiring a salesperson, sales manager, that hiring the wrong person can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost sales and future sales. So, Yeah, it's something I've had to learn over time is pay more, give benefits, try to do more team building events. That We went to a baseball game, a spring training game here in Arizona this past weekend and uh, took him to the casino afterwards and everybody's really happy. I mean, it was a great weekend, but we're kicking back up here. We're just like, look, we got to go ahead and get out there and we need to hire about 20 people here in the next three to four weeks. And to do that, you know, I've got a full-time recruiter, but I'm, I'm bringing a second recruiter on because, you know, if we're going to continue to grow like this, the people where it's at, but you got to be able to train them. And it's, so many people think you just come into our location in Arizona. You spent two to three weeks here and you come out a pro. And then my managers call me up and say, hey, they don't know this. Like you said they were going to. I'm like, 
Nobody's going to retain three weeks worth of 100% of 12-hour day information. So it's an ongoing right. process. What kind of advice do you have? Because so many people think, hey, I trained them for a month. They should be pros by now. I just think it's an ongoing systematic well, thing. You know, you have to have an onboarding process. And it's, it's a process where you kind of cross-train them, right? If you're going to hire a new salesperson, you're going to bring them on. You're going to obviously train them in, in the things sales-related. But they should also go out and spend a day with each of your production crews. You know, they need to spend a day with the admin, the office people, or maybe um, the finance people. So they get a much better idea of how the whole company culture is, how everything works, what's, you know, what is required. But it's, it's continual training. And it's also, you need to sit down and set out some expectations and kind of a, a goal or, or track for them to follow. And then as they're going through that, you always got to be measuring what you expect, right? So you yep. got to be talking to them about how they're doing. Are they meeting expectations? You know, what needs to happen? You're going to have to change. It's, it's not like a one size fits all. And a lot of times we ask our employees to train other employees and our employees may not be equipped to train them. And one of the best things you can do within a company is, is go through some situational leadership training. And what that does is that allows your managers and the people who are going to be managing other people to understand that you need to apply the appropriate management style or leadership style to that employee based upon their developmental level in what you're asking them to do. Because if you don't, you don't manage them right. You don't manage them properly. They're not happy. You're not happy. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about that management styles. I'm curious to hear well, your what you have to do, and it's, it's task-based, right? So you're going to look at an employee, and you want to meet them where they're at, which basically means you want to talk to them about what you're expecting them to do, what the expectations are for the job or the task, and kind of lay it out for them and make sure that they understand it. And then basically people are going to go through four different developmental styles in situational leadership, it's D1, 2, 3, and 4. D1 is they have a high commitment, which means they're, they have high confidence, high motivation. They're excited about the job, the task, but their competence is low. They don't have the knowledge or the skills they need to do that task well. But as they progress and learn, now their confidence is going to come up. So they're going to have like low to medium or moderate competence but typically their commitment goes down because then they realize, hey, this is work. This is hard. Hey, I don't know as much as I think I know. You know? So the commitment comes down and that's that's in the D two level. They go to D three now, their confidence goes up, their commitment may not be as high and it's usually variable. And then a lot of times that, that depends on their motivation, attitude. But as they get really good at their job or their task, then we go into the D four, which is they have high commitment, high competence. And there's four different leadership styles that you want to use when you're to apply to those different developmental levels of employees. You got delegating, which is for the D1 person. You got coaching for the D2. You got supported for the D3. And then, uh, or excuse me, director is the first one. And then the last one is delegating for the D4. So somebody that's new, you got to be more directive. You got to tell them what to do, when to do it, how to do it when to get back to you. And then it just kind of goes from there. It's, it's a fascinating thing, but it's very effective in giving 
your people that you expect to manage others, the tools and some skills and how to do that. Yeah, I agree. We do a lot to get the right people in the door to start with. You know, this morning we sent one of my managers that was trading for another market. We had to send him home. He just didn't have the physical capabilities to handle the job. He was out here for several weeks. It was kind of hard because you invest all this money into somebody, but it's a lot worse if they get out there and they can't succeed. So that was one scenario. Then we've had ones that we really work on training somebody to the next level up. I had a guy on a podcast a while back that said, hey, it's really hard to find A players. It's a lot easier to find C players and manage them up to A players. And I totally believe in that. And um, I will say, though, the interview process and doing personality profiling and making sure you're doing a thorough background and having different managers do an interview on the same person to get the vibe for that person and really having a clear set of expectations before they start. And define their role properly is probably the biggest, hardest part because so many people, I don't know about your experience, Troy, but mine is we kind of fill seats when we absolutely have to do it. And it's never the right person. It's like a warm body. And I've done it too much. I've hired a warm body and it's so tough to hire when you absolutely need people. It's easier to hire when you're like, well, I don't necessarily need somebody, but I could probably use somebody. That's what you should be thinking, especially yeah, during well, I, Yeah, I agree with you, Tommy. And I think you should always be looking, right? You talk about your ABC players. Yep. Always be looking. You could be always replacing the bottom 20%, right? Your C players. Yep. And unfortunately, a lot of owners in this industry, they're quick to hire and slow to fire. And it needs to be the other way around. You got to be a little bit slower to hire. You got to be quick to fire because... It just doesn't get any better. And sometimes, and I, I was this way in my business. I mean, I wanted it more for my employees and they wanted it for themselves. You know, I wanted them to succeed at what they're doing more than they did. And yeah. that's hard. Yeah, that's tough when you got an owner that just does not want. I think that goes back to passion. And if you don't have passion, it kind of gets lost. I think one of the first articles I wrote for Forbes was, it was titled Passion. And it's, it's just, what do you see? I mean, you see a lot of entrepreneurs. You see a lot of business owners. Tell me your take on the, you know, there's some people that have a will. There's some people that have the way. What well, are your thoughts? We all have, you know, our strengths and our weaknesses. And when you're running a company, starting a company, understanding your strengths and weaknesses is very important because as owners, we wear a lot of hats, especially when we're starting, right? And so we wear a lot of hats. And because we can do it the best until we get some people in place. And then you got to start expecting other people to do certain things within your company. As you grow, you're going to need managers at certain positions in certain departments, right? But if you don't understand what you like to do and don't like to do, you're going to spend most of your time on what you like to do. And the other things are going to, they're going to lack. You're not going to spend the time there and it's going to make your company unbalanced. And what happens then is the owners who wear too many hats like that, trying to do too many things, they become the bottleneck within the company. And having the owner as a bottleneck just keeps the company from growing and being profitable. So sometimes if we understand what we're good at, we can get out of the way, let some other people do those other things, just manage them. And then as an owner, you focus on what you're good at. 
Yeah, I think that's a big problem that I've really had to, to grasp is uh, I've actually brought on consultants that are much better than me at whether it be organization, whether it be, you know, right now we're going through this process where we're learning what's called lean and it's about improving on a daily basis. Uh, there's a book called The Two Second Lean and we're just really, there's a place for everything. We got rid of the cleaning crew. We clean our own bathrooms. We clean our own stuff. And we just go back to this process of where can we get more efficient and how do we make people stand out on their own more? And I, I'm really enjoying the process and I think it's going to be a, a game changer for our company. And I just really think that it's hard to ask for help and it's hard to trust people, but that's the, probably the biggest thing that gets in the way of, of an owner or an entrepreneur is that willingness to say, I, I think I could do it better, which you did do it better at one point because you started a business and hopefully you're successful. But when you get bigger, so many of my guys at one point, Troy, we used to just all be wearing a lot of hats and it's hard to convince the whole staff. Look, you got to stop wearing a hat. You got to have a rifle shot rather than a shotgun. It's one hat. Now right. you need yep. to be darn good at it. So how do you do that whole shift as you start you know, to grow? If you recognize the fact that you can't do everything and as your company grows, it may go beyond your skill level. And I think, you know, humility plays into that, understanding yourself. And, you know, and that's hard for some people. But at, at some point, you're going to get sick of it, right? You went into this business, you started this business, you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to have a lot of time freedom. And then you wake up one day and realize that you got a lot of problems. You're spending your time putting out fires. And it's no fun. So you have to get out of the way and put in some processes because what wears people out and what's frustrating, Tommy, is when you're managing people. You know, and, and a lot of companies I see that I work with, they may have some sort of kind of processes, but really they have people. People are doing things. Right. And to use a metaphor, let's say your company is a wagon, right? Well, what's happening is you have all your employees running around the wagon trying to fix the wagon because your wagon has square wheels. It's not very smooth running. It's not efficient. And you just have people running around trying to fix things, but nobody's doing anything. Your wagon's not moving. So you have to put in a process that people can follow, and then you manage that process. And that's that's how you're going to create efficiencies within your business. It's how you're going to create happy customers, and ultimately you're also going to have happy employees. And, you know, that's when you're going to really see your business grow. And, you, and if you're going to scale your business and grow, you can't just put people in the locations. Yeah, you got to have a great plan. I totally agree. I think you really got to sit down and get your, your whole processes in place. And a lot of it is it starts with your warehouse and your office and, you know, all my doors have they're, they're clear windows on the doors and uh, mm -hmm. you can see in. So you can see if we're busy, you can see if we're not. And everybody can see everybody. There's not this. I used when I moved in this office, there was huge cubicles. You never knew what was going on. Right. So I think that that's a mistake. So it goes into this this planning phase and you've got to, you know, I think it all starts with a business plan and an organizational chart. And a business plan is not easy to do. I mean, especially if you haven't run a business, to try to work this stuff out is really difficult. And I do think it's good to get some support, whether it's a consultant 
or maybe a uh, captain or somebody that's done it before, a captain of the team. I mean, either way, I'm all about coaches. I've got a golf coach. I've actually got a ping pong coach. Anything I do, I try to get help because I know I could get to the end of the road a lot faster if I ask for help. And I think mm-hmm. it's a good idea. What do you think the biggest mistake that catches most entrepreneurs off guard when they're trying <laughs> well, to scale? Like you said, not having a plan, right? Not under, truly understanding the numbers and what it takes to run your company. So to have a business plan, you got to have a budget, right? you got to have your annual budget with the different revenue centers. You have to have a sales forecasting plan, and you got to have a work installed plan, right? How much revenue can you produce in a day? And you have to understand those things. You know, what are your sales goals for the different areas? By having a plan, what that does is that creates that track for your people to run on. You know, you set the goals for your different departments, for your salespeople, your production department, you know, and then you have to share that with your people, share the goals with them. You have to be able to have scoreboards so that they can see the goals throughout the year, right? And so when you're going to scale your business, basically you need to have that plan in place and how you're going to execute it, have the processes that you use to run your company. That's all part of your plan. And then you're going to take that and put it into a location, or even if you're scaling in the same location, just getting bigger. And then you got to plug the people in and you got to train them on the process. You got to make sure they understand the goals and what their responsibilities are. Like you said, setting those expectations for them. And then as you go through the year, you have to be measuring that plan, measuring your processes all the time, you know? And we used a total quality management meeting to do that. That's how we would evaluate our process and say, is it working? Are we profitable on our jobs? Are our customers happy? You know, are employees happy? How's our communication? Things like that. What is that meeting that you call it? A quality management meeting or a TQM meeting? And and really, what you're doing is you're going to look at the jobs you did the month before, right? And it depends. If you got a lot of jobs, you can't review all of them. So you may have to have two of these meetings a month. But you're going to pick certain ones that you're going to evaluate as a team. So what you do is you bring in your sales, you bring in your production, your admin, and you set a meeting agenda. You know exactly what you're going to talk about. All the jobs are job costed. You've got the jobs you want to discuss figured out and that's part of the agenda so people can bring appropriate paperwork be able to discuss it and then you're going to look at okay were we on budget over budget or under budget and why why did we go over budget what was it was it pricing was it estimating was it the way it was sold was the way it was produced things like that if it went under budget why why was it more efficient then you can have sales evaluate production through the eyes of the customer, how did production do on that job? You know, speaking to the customer afterwards, in the rating on one to five, production can rate sales on their estimate, their the quality, the scope of work, information, things like that. How happy was the customer? And then you talk about feedback from the customer. And then the whole idea is to look at the things that are going on, and then your team figures out how to tighten everything up. And the beauty of it is, once you get this started, really then you want to let your team do the meetings and the owner just steps back and lets them handle it. You know, the owner doesn't want to be a buffalo. They need to stay out of it and use the collective intelligence of their team 
to run that meeting and to figure out how to solve these problems because we all want employees not to bring just problems to us and want them to bring solutions. Well, that's your chance to have them figure out the solutions for the problems within your business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's, it's a good road to go down if you could get there. What what do you think it takes to be a solid leader? Give me some input on releasing control and really empowering well, other people. You know, for one is, you know, what are your expectations as an owner? in the business. What do you want to do? Are you getting out of it what you want out of it? You know, what are your goals? And then finding the people that you can trust, you know, and, and that's always the thing, right? How do I find a person I trust? Well, you have to work hard at it and do some things we talked about earlier, you know, with hiring people and managing people, but really you have to empower people to do a good job and you have to step out of the way and let them do their job and measure it. If at some point they're not doing their job, then you can find somebody else. But if you realize as an owner that I want to grow and scale this business bigger than what it is now, I can't do it myself. So I need a team and you got to build a team and do some of the things like what you talked about too, for team building and things like that. And let your team go. You know, I always felt in my business, Tommy, that I wasn't the smartest guy there, that my people had the answers. And all we had to do was talk about it and they would come up with the answers. And if you do that and let them come up with the answers, they're going to apply it. They're going to do it. But if you're always telling them what they need to do, they're not always going to do what you want them to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, I do agree. You know, it's hard when you got a big company that's in 10 states or whatever it might be, and to give complete control over to separate, there's not enough unity. You know, it makes it tough. And mm -hmm. if, if, if you want to have a huge company, there needs to be the same expected results over and over. So I do think there needs to be some type of corporate structure to make sure that each person is doing things the same way, but while at the same time giving them the freedom to expand their horizons and try different things. What's the easiest way to keep that kind of in the middle and keeping up or with the other one? Creating some unity within the different departments. You know, different, you, um, yeah, unity, but you're also letting them try new things. I mean, there's a kind of a tango. It's, it's right. one before the well, other. I think what you have to do is you have to find good people to run that location, right? Some qualified people that have experience and, it may mean that you're going to pay somebody more than what you want, but to get the good people to do what you want, you might have to pay them more. And as your company grows through different locations, it's bigger. You're going to lose some of that small company feel, but what you have to do is within each location, create that family, that unity within that location through team building activities, through doing community activities, and, you know, a lot of times it can be community or nonprofit things that your employees have an interest in, right? So there's more buy-in from them local and, and more buy-in in your team. And then probably once a year, bring everybody together to have something fun where, you know, it's a, maybe it's a vacation, you know, or it's a two-day event where you do some training and a lot of different team building activities and then just having fun. I think people are their happiest 
when you hire them to do a job and you let them do that job and you manage them appropriately and they feel like you believe in them from the ownership perspective. Yeah, I think that also what really helps grow that is keeping track. And a lot of owners, you know, it starts with a CRM and they want to know how they're doing. A lot of people, they want to know good or bad. They want to know what their job's measured on and if they're performing it. Because so many of us go around and we don't tell people what their real job is supposed to be. And then we don't tell them how they know if they're doing a great job or not a good job. And you could take a manager in two different markets and show them, you know, these are the seven KPIs we're looking at. Both of you, you could probably learn a lot from each other based on these numbers that, that we've evaluated. So tell me yeah, a little bit about that. To, you know, having a CRM company-wide, especially at different locations, is pretty important for checking up on the different locations and, and seeing how they're doing. But again, it's like, you know, if you have a manager of that location or different managers, you want to set the expectation based upon the goal. You know, your overall company goal for revenue, for sales, for work, install, those types of things. But then it's broken up amongst the different locations, right? And it could be different. But making sure they clearly understand what you expect for them from their position and how you're going to measure it is important because people want to know how they can measure, how they can stand up, if they're doing a good job or not. And that involves, you know, feedback, continuous feedback, whether it's through evaluations. It used to do a performance evaluation once a year and a merit evaluation once a year, right? Because you don't want to think every time that you have an evaluation that a raise could be in at hand or could be an option. But then you got to give them other types of feedback, and that's on a weekly basis. And, but you have to measure what they're doing to make sure that, they're getting done what's expected. Are they on track to hit the revenue goal for the year? Are they on track to hit their sales goal for the year? Things like that. And then it's letting people know that they're doing a good job. And it, a lot of times it doesn't have to be anything really big. It might just be a phone call saying, just call them to let you know, I think you're doing a great job. Keep it up. If there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. And, and that type of feedback and that type of appreciation goes a long ways in keeping people happy and keeping people doing a good job. Yeah, the more I've been learning about this lean concept is the owner reaches out to, to basically each person in the whole company once a week. And mm-hmm. you try to say something motivating and you give a compliment. And there are times where, you know, if you set the structure up correctly – the people should know if they're not performing because they're lower than everybody else. And they've got the metrics and the KPIs to identify that they're not doing it. Right. So, you know, when it comes to hiring, I want to go back to this because I think it's so important is tell me a little bit about what you would do if you had to hire 10 good roofers here in the next month. I mean, other than get, get a recruiter, I mean, what do you think is the best, most effective way? Is there something outside of just, Indeed and Craigslist and ZipRecruiter you know, and things of that nature. Is, I would put an ad on Facebook. All right. And a lot of times, you know, as a business, you may have a business page, right? And you might put a post on your business page that you're looking for whatever position, right? No. What you need to do is an ad. And with like the Facebook ads, you can, uh, they're pretty inexpensive, but what you want to do is you want to do an ad 
that is going to attract the type of person you want. So if you're going to want to hire some people for the, in the field, so you're going to have to put together an ad. It's just like marketing for your company, right? And it has to be about them. This ad can't be about you and your company and how great that is. It's got to be about that person and what are they looking for? What do they want? You know, continuous work, your benefits, your pay, some of the things that you do. So you put together an ad that's focused on that person, not necessarily on your company. Then you can go in and you can set the, the demographics to match the people you're looking for and put that ad out, out on Facebook. And what's going to happen now, that ad's going to show up on those people's timelines. You know, the, the chance of them ever seeing a post off your business page is pretty small. But by doing a targeted directed ad, you're going to go onto their timelines and they're going to see that ad and say, oh, this company's looking to hire. And it may be that it's the spouse, the wife or the girlfriend that sees that ad and, and tells them, you should check this out. Well, don't you want to target, wouldn't you want to add a certain demographic now that Facebook allows you to take all these targeting concepts? I mean, what do you want to hit? Like, I don't know, let's say you're looking between 21 and 40 years old or whatever you might be looking for. What do you want to go after certain people that you know so you're not spending yeah, as much can, money? Facebook allows you to set those demographics. So it's like, what geographical area do you want this ad to be in? What's the age group? What's the income level, right? Um, and then you can also put in there the type of careers that they're doing. This would be construction, you know, roofing, siding, windows, whatever it is. You can, you can get pretty specific on the demographics and it really narrows it down. So it's going to go on the timeline of your target audience, of the target people you want to put this ad in front of that may want to come work for you because there's a good chance they're not happy where they're working. Right? Yeah, and there is a good chance. may be looking. We can't assume that just because they've been with somebody a while that they're happy there. Maybe they just have a lack of options. Yeah, what do you think? So you think it's good to um, try to poach people? I mean, I, I don't consider it stealing employees. They, they get up and leave on their own, but do you market towards people in the home service industry yeah, already? Absolutely, because that's your target. Right. So if you're going to do the targeted Facebook ads and, and we've some of the uh, contractors I've worked with have had good success by placing the ads on Facebook, a lot more success than they had for doing the Indeed or, you know, Monster or Craigslist or whatever. OK, well, I like that advice. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit. I, I love to talk about marketing and sales. Marketing and sales are my two big passions in life. And referrals and getting reviews is a good part of marketing that we forget about. What strategies do you recommend for business owners that are struggling to get referrals? Because it could be the lifeblood right. of your company. You know, and then you have to look at why you're struggling to get referrals, right? And is it because the customers are not satisfied, not happy? And really, Tommy, in our society today, with it being so fast-paced and everybody having the, the smartphone and all the apps, we have to go beyond just having a satisfied customer because satisfied customers are really just not going to, they're not going to talk about you. They may not do referrals. They may not go online and do reviews. Right. So you have to have 
have customers that are like, you give them a wow experience, you know, going past a satisfied to a raving fan type customer. And so then you have to look at how that customer contractor relationship is throughout in order to give them a wow experience. And you got to go beyond what you're doing now. And for most people, for most customers, I mean, to really give them that wow experience is you just have to go beyond the expectations that you set for them and do more than what you say you're going to do, right? And let's face it, for some contractors, um, they have a hard time just getting satisfied customers. You know, there's always little problems here and there. And the other thing you can do is up front is tell them, you know, this is what we're going to do for you. We're going to do this project for you. This is how we're going to handle it throughout the process. We're going to make sure that you're 100% satisfied at the end. So you know what to expect from us, but this is what we expect from you as our customer, right? That you will communicate with us to let us know how we're doing, give us feedback so we can improve it if, if we're not being 10 out of 10. When the job's over, we expect you to pay us the way you said you were going to pay us. And also, we expect to get three referrals from you when we're done. So it's all about setting those expectations up front. And then communicating it at several points throughout that relationship with that customer. It starts with sales, right? Set those expectations, communicate them. Then it goes to production when that job is passed from sales to production. So if you do a pre-construction meeting, you're going to talk about it again. This is what we're going to do. This is for you. We're going to do all these things, but this is what we want from you. And you just reestablish those expectations. And if you do it several times, now they know that's expected of them, right? And that's what customers want. They want to know what to expect. So you got marketing, you've got accounting, you've got hiring, you've got all these different facets of a business. When you walk into a business, where do you usually have to start? The finances. Does that, you know, where is that company at? Does that owner know his numbers? You know, how are they financially? And so when I start working with a company, what we do is we look at a couple years worth of profit and loss to balance sheet and to see, you know, what's their gross profit like? What's their net like? Where do they want to be? Do they understand those numbers? Are they setting their pricing based upon what it costs to run their company? See, we I see a big disconnect there in our industry, Tommy, is you have owners who are not very strong financially. Their talents are geared towards sales typically, you know, because we're all the lady we all like to do the sales or marketing, or maybe it's for more towards production because you kind of grew up in the field doing the work but they don't understand their numbers. And so we have to go in and make sure that they understand their numbers and, and things look accurate and how do we need to help them adjust that? And are they using that for their pricing or are they just setting a pricing based upon what, you know, don't tell me in quotations, what the market bears or how they perceive their position in the market, things like that. And that's a big disconnect because if you're not pricing your jobs to pay for your business, a lot of times you're operating on cash flow. 
Right, right. Well, tell me about the problems when you start operating well, on cash. The biggest problem is if cash stops, then you can't pay anything, right? And you don't have enough money in the bank to, you know, to get through the lean times. You also don't have any money there to provide benefits for the employees. You don't have enough money to give people raises. And a lot of times the owner is not making enough money either. And then what happens is see a lot of companies or a lot of people get into debt. Yep. I see that all the time. You know, one of the things I wanted to tell you is uh, we used to do all the Home Depot garage store work in Arizona. Not every single Home Depot, but a lot of them. And when it came down to it, we found out we were losing money when we analyzed the numbers and we dropped mm-hmm. it. And a lot of companies would go, well, you had all that business coming in. And the thing is, if you really understand your numbers, you would know that a lot of times those contracts don't make sense. And uh, right. it's hard to believe because you think, wow, you got Costco, you got Home Depot, you got Lowe's. But that's, you know, one of the things I look at when I buy out companies is uh, is all their revenue coming around just a couple of sources or are they, do they have a ton of customers? Because the more you can spread out the risk, the better. Tell us a little bit right. about that because I'm sure a lot of the people here are baby boomers, probably looking to retire in the next 10 years. And tell me what your thoughts are on, on getting ready to retire in that well, whole concept. Well, I, I think, you know, you're right. You have to, um, you can't have all your eggs in one basket, right? You got to have a couple different, what we call profit centers. You know, is it going to be roofing, siding, windows, or is it garage doors, is it decks, is it, you know, different services that can bring money into the business. And you have to treat each one of those as if it's a separate little business within your company, Right. And that's understanding the, the financial numbers, the cost for each one of those, and then how they make up the whole. And then setting your goals appropriately. And, you know, the thing, a lot of times in our industry, we don't have a lot of repeat customers, right? Right. Um, they might buy one or two projects in their lifetime. So it's all about that lifetime value of that customer and then that goes beyond just their projects, but it goes on to their referrals. And so you have to be focused really on the customer, providing that wow experience for the customer to make sure that you continually have leads coming in more and more. And as people get older and like the baby boomers retire, they may be fixing up their own homes, but they may be fixing up homes to give to their kids as well. You know, if I understand what your question was there, but you know, there'll be a lot of work there. There's a lot of focus on millennials these days. And that's a huge, millennials is a huge group. But the thing is, a very small percentage of them actually own any homes right now. Now that's going to change in the next 10 years. And as that changes, you know, we're going to have to change our approach a little bit to attract the millennials and to work with the millennials. Yeah, that's uh, last year was the first year, I believe, that the millennials outdid the uh, baby boomers in home purchases. So it's starting to happen and it's a paradigm switch and it's Yelp, it's Angie's List, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's Pinterest. It's a different sales market, and it's—I believe it's Google because 
you know, 70% of all services are found online and 70% of that is Google. So half mm-hmm. your marketing should be aimed towards some type of Google search, whether that's organic, local, or pay-per-click. Tell me your take yeah, on that. Totally that concept. Yeah, I think Google is a king. You know, the, the other search engines have a very, very small part of the market. And there are certain social media sites that, that do pretty well. But those are changing all the time, right? And, you know, it was Facebook, and then it was Instagram, and then Snapchat. And then, you know, Pinterest is basically a search engine. But Google rules that market. And so you have to focus your um, your advertising and things on Google as far as pay-per-click and just, you know, the search things and, and things like that. And also on making sure that you're getting good reviews on Google as well. Yeah, tell me a little bit about the best way to get good reviews because that's I I could you know we got about 500 reviews on Google, about 400 on Yelp, and we're still five stars. How do you recommend going about that? Well, that it's, it's asking um, what it's you know I guess it's understanding your customer and the age group of the customer. I, the younger customer, I think, is more open to going on and, and doing reviews online. Some of the, the older, like the baby boomers, may not be. And I guess part of that is setting those expectations as far as doing it. Some companies will have a like a customer service person, customer service manager. It, it's just a person that's going to manage the customer relationship all the way through from the time that they, they buy a project to the time you finish Right. And using that person to help people, you know, get those online reviews done can go a long ways because let's face it, we're all each, um, creatures of habit, right? And if we're not, don't have the habit of going online and buying things or posting things or posting reviews or things like that, you can't expect that you're going to have a happy customer just do that when that's not something they normally do. So we have to help them. And a lot of times we don't do it because we don't know how or we don't feel comfortable in doing it, right? We might make a mistake. There's that little fear there. So having somebody in your company that can help manage that will go a long ways towards getting those online reviews. Yeah, those things are powerful because you rank a lot better in the search engines with reviews. It's called user-created content, and it's a game-changer. So definitely want to reach out and get as many reviews as possible. So what do you think that one of the problems that we have with communication is with our employees and sometimes our customers? I think we assume too much, especially with our customers. As contractors, we assume that they know about how home remodeling projects work or they understand how contractors work. And we assume that they, they know we're busy. And that's just, that's not true. Most homeowners don't understand what it takes to actually qualify and hire a contractor, right? Most all of them, the only two questions they really know what to ask is how much is it? When can you start, right? The problem is, you know, a good contractor can answer those two questions, but so can a bad. How do you tell them to get apart? So we can't assume they know how to buy projects, how to buy contractors, we have to communicate from with them from the very beginning and making sure that it's it's quality communication, not poor communication. And it's the same thing with employees, right? 
we talk about the big three, Tommy, and it's the big three is the three main reasons why any home remodeling contractor will have a problem with a homeowner. A lot of times it applies to your employees too, but first one is lack of communication or poor communication. The second one is not setting the proper expectations. And third thing is additional work or unforeseen work and how you handle it, right? And pretty much every dispute or problem will come back to in some way to those three things. And so to improve the communication, you have to address those three things throughout your process from when sales is talking to the homeowner to when they, and they buy it to the communication coming from your company after they've bought the job through scheduling through that communication and that dead time from when they bought the job to when you start the job, how you communicate with them right before you start the job in a pre-construction meeting, the communication through out the job and then at the end of the job, right? And it's just communicating to the customer in a way that they want you to, right? And making sure that you set expectations, reset the expectations, make sure they understand those expectations. Because if you ever let the homeowner set the expectation, you're going to lose. Because they don't know what those are. So they set totally unrealistic expectations. And that should never happen. So you just have to address those three things. And a lot of times within our companies, that lack of communication, poor communication, and not setting the right expectations causes problems with employees. And so we have to become masters at communication. Yeah, I think that that starts with our employees as well. And some of the time it's just, we talked about this a little bit, but it's pumping them up. It's giving them great feedback. And if you give somebody good feedback all the time, it's not hard to tell them, they're not doing good and feel bad about it and say, look, I really want you to focus on this. So I think that that's really where it all gets started is with the employees and happy employees equals happy customers. I I just had a new class for CSRs. There was 12 of them. And I I spent an hour doing a, a little orientation about who we are as a company. And I said, listen, we've got a great open door policy. If you guys, this is what you do all day. We're here to help grow you as well as you'll grow us. And uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's working together that's going to help everybody. And I know answering phones doesn't seem like a, a great, fun job, but you get to take breaks. You get to set records. You get to have competition. We get to have weekly uh, – we have this thing where it's a potluck. I'm getting a bag, so we play bags in the back. Everybody takes an hour out different times of the day and plays around. And if you could create an atmosphere where – yeah, it is a job, but you know what? Tiger Woods has to hit golf balls all day long every day. He's got a job. Yeah, playing in right. tournaments is fun, but it still becomes a job. You got to right. go to work. Yeah. It's a job. So if you can make it as as fun and team building as possible, I think you have something there yeah, that most companies exactly. don't. So tell me a little bit about, you know, we're wrapping up here a little bit, but you know, I'm curious to, to maybe hear some things that I might have not asked the right questions about, like maybe something that you, you really like to teach about that maybe I didn't get to hear. You have to have processes for your people to follow, right? Like you're talking about. If you give your employees a track to run on and some incentives, incentives and the tools that they need and give them the feedback, they're going to be happy, right? And 
as a company and as a company owner, if you do that and you give them those tracks to run on, you have that process to follow, you set those expectations, and then you measure them to see how they're doing, and you adjust accordingly. It's going to make your employees happier, the customers are going to be happier, your company becomes more profitable, and you as an owner are going to be happier. And you're going to feel like if you don't own your job, then all you're doing is handling problems. You're going to start running your company the way that you pictured it when you started that company. And I think that's key for a lot of contractors. The contractors I start working with are really disillusioned or they're stressed out or things aren't going the way they, they want. And really that's how your company, once it gets to that point, that's what you really want. You know, I, we, we talked about a lot of things, but yeah, at the end of the day, you got to focus on the customer too. And keeping that, you just can't have satisfied customers anymore. You got to have raving fans. Yeah, I got a book right here, actually. It's called Raving Fans by Ken Blanchard and Sheldon Bowles. It's a good book. It really it just talks uh, real simply how to create raving fans, and it was a good book for me to read. And uh, tell me about some of the books that you recommend to our listeners out there. When I started in this industry, one of the books I read, I read it several times, was The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Yep, that's uh, one of my favorites. For the contractor, you know, and I thought that was a great book. Then another one that I highly recommend is by Jack Canfield, The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Um, and then one of the books that we use in our training sometimes is Who Moved My Cheese? You know, The Parables. And Peaks and Valleys is another one by Spencer Johnson. Those are good books for contractors. Peaks and Valleys, we got Who Moved My Cheese, Success Principles, The E-Myth for Contractors. One of the books that I always recommend is The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. That's a great book. And then one of the guys I had on the podcast, his name was Al Levy. He's got The Seven Power Contractor. Kind of takes you through the seven steps to be successful. And knowing your numbers is a big one. So... Great advice. If somebody wants to get more of you, Troy, they want to get to know you more, what's the best place to uh, connect with you? Either Facebook. Okay, so tell me exactly what your LinkedIn is. Is it just Troy Timmer, T-I-M-M-E-R? Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, so connect with you there. And if, if they're looking for some type of coaching, is there a website yeah, that they, they would go, go to? to contractors.net. It's the website for Certified Contractors Network. Okay. And yep. just look or for you on there. Email me at uh, Troy at Contractors.net. Perfect. Well, Troy, is there any final thoughts that you want to leave us with before we end I here? I appreciate the opportunity, Tommy, to sit here and talk with you today. I love talking about this stuff. And, you know, I just, if, if anybody needs any help, they're really struggling. They can give me a call, but um, really, I just want—I just appreciate what you're doing here for the contractors, and uh, thanks for letting me be part of it. Hey, Trey, I really got a lot out of this. I think the audience here probably learned a lot as well, and um, we'll get you back on here in a few months. Thanks so much for being part of it, and you have a great day today. Thank you, Tommy. You too. All right, thanks, Trey. 
This was the Home Service Expert Podcast. Now listen up. Do you want to dominate your market? Triple the profit you make without working those long 12-hour days, seven days a week? If the answer is yes, my team and I are opening up some new time slots to help you solve your biggest business challenge. Just go to homeserviceexpert.com forward slash discovery and book a free 30-minute call with our team today. I will repeat that, homeserviceexpert.com forward slash discovery and book your free call today.